This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. As airline markets go, Japan would have to be considered a mature airline market. Japan Airlines' JAL is 64 years old, and its chief rival, All Nippon Airways, ANA, it's just a young tyke. 62 years old. Wow, so close. Yes, they were founded 16 months apart in 1951 and 1952. And for most of the six decades since, it's been smooth sailing. Both airlines built domestic networks. Both airlines built international networks. They both have benefited from a large cargo business. And along the way, they kept competition at bay. Well, if you don't count bullet trains. And all this was made easier because ANA and JAL did most of their growing amid the world's second biggest economy, and all that comes with that, high personal incomes for people who want to spend on travel, and scores of global companies who need access to the world. And so ANA and JAL enjoyed a comfortable, boring duopoly. Yeah, and then things got less boring. Yes, in 2009, JAL lost a lot of money. So much money, in fact, that in 2010, the venerable airline went bankrupt. And soon after that, Japan's Skymark, really the country's number three airline, a distant number three, ordered A380s. This was surprising and strange and a little frightening because even if trying low-cost long haul was a bad idea for Skymark, it was a bad idea that could still hurt JAL or ANA. And we know how that chapter ended. Yes, we do. We're going to talk about that ending plus the next chapter for Skymark, ANA, JAL, and Delta. Also, I want to touch on the struggles at Virgin Australia and the new marketing initiative by Frontier Airlines. Episode number four of the Airline Weekly Lounge is happening right now. Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President here at Airline Weekly, and joining me is the irrepressible Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. Irrepressible, huh? Thanks. So, Seth, we left off our story in 2010 with JAL in bankruptcy and Skymark coming on strong. And if ever there was a threat to Japan's duopoly, it was then, no? Yeah, Skymark seemed like that threat. I mean, it was extraordinarily profitable, one of the most profitable airlines in the world, and then it got... Very ambitious. It ordered those A380s you mentioned during the introduction, A330s as well, and really had uh, the whole world, it seemed to think, as its oyster. Now, on the other hand, Japan Airlines started to perform a remarkable turnaround. Uh, you know, other airlines have reformed themselves, but hard to think of another that really structured itself and came so far so fast as, as JAL managed to do. Yes, JAL's restructuring was so successful that in 2013, JAL was the most profitable carrier in the world. In just three years, they went from bankrupt to best in the industry, which I find pretty astonishing. 
But that wasn't the case for Skymark. Not the case at all. You know, I mentioned those ambitions. And uh, yeah, that was an airline that, um, you know, thought that it could do something which others have found so difficult. And that's low cost, long haul flying. And, and it did some other strange things. You know, it ordered these uh, A330s and, and configured them actually not all that densely. Uh, you know, the low cost model, if anything, a lot of it is just about driving down unit costs uh, through density, right? having lots of seats on the plane. Uh, Skymark wasn't really doing that in the case of its wide body fleet. And uh, yeah, eventually its profits started to slip so much that you know, Airbus basically came to the conclusion that this airline wasn't going to be able to afford those A380s. And, and let's be clear, Airbus will do anything to place A380s with airlines right now. So when it's the one saying, hey, we we, we can't do this, uh, you know things are bad. And Skymark ultimately is the one that ended up in bankruptcy just several years after JAL had been there and later ascended to, as, as you said, one of the most profitable in the world. And so despite all the sound and fury, we're back to a boring duopoly for ANA and JAL. As we mentioned in Airline Weekly this week, ANA, not Delta, will be buying a stake in the bankrupt Skymark. Delta, of course, wanted access to Skymark's domestic network. But ANA already has a strong domestic network. Do they simply want Haneda slots? Well, they certainly want Haneda slots, although that's not the only thing they want. You know, part of it, frankly, is uh, Skymark clearly is not going away. I mean, if you asked ANA in a private moment, would they rather Skymark have just disappeared? They might have said yes to that, but it's going to survive. Somebody was going to help recapitalize this company, and ANA clearly concluded that if it was going to exist, they would rather be aligned with this airline. They would rather be with it rather than competing against it, rather than letting it, for example, uh, help strengthen someone else, an airline like Delta, which uh, for all its prowess around the world and all that's going right in De at Delta in general, uh, has some real problems in Japan and more broadly in Asia. So uh, it was partly offense, partly defense. And uh, yeah, Skymark in the ANA fold along, by the way, with uh, some other low cost units that ANA has backed too. So ANA gets stronger. What happens to JAL? Well, JAL will be fine. You know, JAL remains remarkably profitable, benefiting still, first of all, from the weak Japanese yen, which is a bad thing in terms of cost because, you know, these airlines are having to pay for things like jet fuel and aircraft. They're priced in strong U.S. dollars. They're paying with those weak yen. But the thing is that people, and we mentioned this in our cover story with Seeking Airline Weekly, are really flocking to Japan from all over the world. The country's a bargain. It's a place people do like to visit when it becomes affordable, and it's affordable at the moment. So JAL is benefiting from that, as well as very much still from that restructuring that we mentioned a little bit ago. You know, it's costs are rather low for a comprehensive legacy airline, a global airline like JAL. And so uh, you know, rather low costs and rather strong revenue equals strong profits. Although, uh, you know, JAL is certainly now that much more uh, just small in comparison to uh, to ANA, uh, with ANA now having uh, broadened its reach even a little bit more by adding Skymark to its fold. So ANA, which... Uh, during JAL's restructuring had become the bigger airline, now that much larger, but JAL's doing fine. Is this a good thing for the Japanese traveler? I mean, would it have been better to have a Delta-supported Skymark competing with ANA and JAL? Frankly, uh, probably yes. Uh, you know, uh, 
you would rather, as a Japanese traveler, have uh, sort of three rather strong companies. A and A and JAL would have been much bigger than Delta, but Delta well, would have been a, a, a rather meaningful competitor in a lot of international markets. Uh, Delta is there, of course, still. It has a hub at uh, Narita, um, but it, it's it's a, a much more distant number three than it would have been had it managed to get its hands on Skymark. But in the end, you know, it was the creditors who uh, picked A&A. Uh, the main decision was what was the better deal for those creditors. And they uh, went with A&A. &A. And what do you think happens to Skymark? Well, Skymark is 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 gone through a is still in the process of going through a rather deep restructuring in it if you want ev any evidence for how that can go for a japanese airline you know look at jal but um you know bankruptcy solves certainly some cost problems it doesn't solve revenue problems and it, it doesn't change a lot of other strategic things about an airline so uh you know bankruptcy by itself isn't going to change things we'll have to see ana with its uh, considerable management expertise uh which it'll you know help uh, Skymark perform itself commercially in other ways. Um, see if Skymark can get back to uh, its winning ways. Although, uh, gosh, uh, for an airline that at, at one point was putting up some of the best margins in the world, it fell so far, so fast. Uh, hard to imagine it ascending anytime soon back to where it was. Uh, and, and interesting to wonder what would have been if it had just stuck with its narrow body uh, short haul uh, strategy that was going so well before it uh, started buying the wide bodies. And because Skymark's creditors chose ANA, that leaves Delta holding the bag, that bag being an expensive hub at Narita. They've been snubbed by JAL and now Skymark. Is there a plan C? Yeah, or, or, or you might say even a plan D or a plan E if you consider that even beyond that, uh, I mean, you know, Delta's tried to solve its Asia issues in other ways, having less to do with Japan. I mean, they, they rather clearly wanted a joint venture with Korean Air. That didn't happen, at least hasn't happened yet. They wanted to build a, uh, a, a robust hub at Seattle by using short-haul feed from Alaska Airlines. And Alaska Airlines wasn't willing to do that by all appearances on the terms that Delta wanted. So now Delta's kind of trying to go it alone at Seattle, but in a much more expensive way than they wanted. Uh, so, yeah, so there you go. Uh, you know, JAL, uh, Delta you know, wanted to bring it to SkyTeam and into a joint venture with it. Skymark, as you mentioned, and add Korean and and and. Alaska, and it's really four things that haven't gone well for Delta broadly in Asia, two of them specific to Japan. Uh, so what's next? Well, uh, you know, the Korean air joint venture is, is something that could yet happen. Uh, the world has changed a little bit since Korean air, again, sort of by all appearances, although neither airline has exactly confirmed it this way publicly, uh, since Korean air you know, pretty much spurned Delta and said, uh, you know, no, we're not interested in uh, in a joint venture. Uh, Korean probably feels a little more vulnerable now than it did then, um, dealing with some of its own issues. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see that yet happen. I mean, let's be clear. Delta's other joint ventures around the world have gone very, very well. Uh, you know, when you look at the one, it, well, the ones it has across the Atlantic, not only the giant one with Air France, uh, KLM, Alitalia, but also the one it has with uh, Virgin Atlantic, off to a great start. Uh, you know, it has equity investments in, in other airlines like Goal and Aeromexico. And the Aeromexico one uh, could well evolve into a joint venture. It looks to be on that path uh, just 
pending U.S. Mexico Open Skies getting started the way it uh, it's on a path to get started. And, and so, um, you know, Delta has a great resume in terms of these things. And, and if Korean Air feels in certain ways strategically vulnerable, if it feels like it's hub in Seoul at Incheon Airport, uh, maybe threatened, for example, by all the new direct Chinese service to the U.S., people not needing to connect there as much, you could imagine them coming back to the table if they haven't already done so. And so that could be Delta's ticket. You know, it's not the same as 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 what it wanted in terms of a, a, a robust hub and joint venture partner in Tokyo, which which is the stronger market than Seoul. But um, but it would be very helpful and, and and at least put Delta back in the game in terms of um, competing in Asia against American, which, although it isn't all that big in its own right, uh, you know, has that great partnership with JAL and certainly against ANA with its partner United. The cover story in this week's Airline Weekly is about Japan and how the weak yen is driving business for airlines, not just Japanese airlines, but any airline that flies to Japan. Now, there's a lot of international competition in Asia. Do you think the duopoly will hold up for the foreseeable future? Yeah, and and to be clear, you know, it's it's a you know pretty much a, a domestic duopoly. Although you do have some some uh, low cost competition there, but you know, yeah, with all that demand inbound to Japan, especially, what you do see is all kinds of new international service from other airlines. So when people are are you know, searching for flights between Japan and um, foreign points, uh, they have a lot of choices and increasingly uh, growing numbers of choices. Uh, you know, in fact, JAL has shrunk internationally in recent years. Uh, you mentioned in the introduction that, you know, both ANA and JAL for six decades have built domestic and international markets. But, you know, you sort of drill down a little more. And ANA was more the domestic airline, JAL more the international one. Uh, JAL, during its restructuring, cut some of its international flying. And whereas, you know, if you go back a decade ago, it was really those two airlines and then certainly a fair amount of other international service. Now, uh, just a broad menu uh, of global carriers, you know, of course, the Arabian Gulf carriers, which, you know, 15 years ago barely existed and, and now are are huge forces in global uh, aviation. But, um, you know, warming relations between Japan and China, all of a sudden, all kinds of new service there. Uh, the U.S. carriers, if anything, not among the ones really growing their Japan service, but as we mentioned just a moment ago, in the case of American and United, they have these very powerful joint ventures with JAL and ANA. And so, um, you, you know, they're able to, by proxy, grow their service there. So um, a, a lot of competition in the international markets. Uh, but in terms of any, uh, you know, very meaningful competition uh, in the domestic market, it, it's what you mentioned earlier in a lot of cases, uh, the, the famed Japanese bullet trains. Okay, moving away from Japan, but staying east, Virgin Australia suffered a tough quarter and a tough 2015 so far. Oil prices are going right, but too many other things are going wrong for Virgin, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And even with oil prices, we're talking about a place, Australia, you know, whose currency has has suffered. So like a lot of other places around the world where, where currencies are down, you know, they don't get the full benefit of those falling U.S. dollar denominated oil prices and, and, and thus jet fuel prices. This is an airline that um, is, is not the low cost carrier that it once was, an airline that's accepted a lot of complexity in exchange, hopefully, for revenue, an airline that flies uh, not just to the near abroad, but ultra long haul flights uh, to the U.S., to Abu Dhabi. 
And by all appearances, that service ha has never really uh, translated into the kinds of profits that they would have hoped for. You know, ultra long haul service is really difficult. And if you don't get it right, um, it's high risk service. You can lose a lot of money doing that. Um, and and uh, you know, in the case of they're flying to the U.S., uh, they have a partner, Delta, to Abu Dhabi. They have uh, their partner, Etihad, there. Um, but, you know, for them, that's just a, a, a very big percentage of their overall uh, ASK capacity. And so when things go wrong, you know, let's say flying to LAX, uh, not that big of a problem for Delta, the much larger, larger airline, but it is a problem for Virgin Australia. And so, you know, we'll see. And broadly speaking, you know, another issue that they have is that they are owned rather uniquely by what you would call strategic investors rather than uh, really financial investors owned, uh, you know, partly by Air New Zealand, uh, by Etihad, um, by Singapore Airlines. And, um, and and so these are companies that have their um, their own uh, motives when it comes to what they want to see Virgin Australia do. Not that they don't want to see it earn money because of course they do uh you know after all the the losses flow through to them but sometimes the thing that is the best for them uh isn't always the same thing um that is the very most profitable thing for the airline to do so different in that regard from airlines that are owned by investors whose main interest is in the airline simply making money and philippine airlines reported earnings last week lots of earnings in fact What's the view like from Manila? Yeah, interesting. Uh, kind of one of those exceptions in the world where you mentioned a moment ago all the places whose currencies are down. Well, that's one where uh, you know the local currency has held up reasonably well. Uh, a country that uh, you know, related to that, and hard to even say what's the cause and what's the effect of what I'm about to say here, but you know. Uh, commodity is not as big of an issue, you know, commodity exporters. Now, of course, that's that's simply part of the reason why countries that have suffered have done so. Uh, but when you think about places that are, you know, that are just reeling from, uh, you know, whatever it is that they export in terms of commodities dropping in price, Philippines, not doing so much of that, a country that always has a huge expat population. I mean, you go so many places around the world and you encounter Filipinos everywhere. These are people who like to go back home to visit their families um, and a country that benefits also from a, at least an improving safety reputation, which translates into, for example, the FAA in the U.S. now saying that an airline like Philippine Airlines can fly to the U.S. again, which it's indeed uh, going to do from Cebu to uh, Los Angeles. Um, it, it's renewing its fleet, by the way, and uh, and even the older aircraft, you know, the A340s that it had, uh, that it has rather, I mean, these are aircraft that, you know, a year ago with fuel prices where they were, uh, they, they were just extraordinarily toxic assets. They're still not the envy of any other airline, but, you know, some things that were not viable a year ago simply are viable now because of lower fuel prices. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, not an airline that's among the most profitable in the world, but one that, that yeah, uh, you know, has, has somewhat turned itself around and seems to be on the right path. Okay, last item. Uh, U.S. carrier Frontier Airlines announced an upgrade package called The Works, and it works like this. You pay $49 to $69. and includes a check bag, a carry-on bag, a choice of available seat, priority boarding, and a refundable ticket. This was interesting to me because after years of airlines unbundling their services, Frontier is bundling everything together and selling it back to us in well, a bundle. I'm being a little silly, but 
What do you think of this pricing strategy? Yeah, putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, I guess, right? It, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, but you know, in a way, they're just doing something that's rather low risk. I mean, they know there are people out there who say things like, "Why don't they just charge me one fare and include everything?" Well, there are all kinds of very good answers to that question, and you know, a lot of the uh, profitability surge for, for U.S. airlines in general has had to do with, uh, well, it, it just doesn't work as well that way for airlines or consumers. You know, people like the the low base fares, and and um, you know, airlines like to be able to charge people for what they use. Uh, certainly, for consumers who don't use as much, it can work out in their favor to not be subsidizing other people's you know check bags and so forth. Uh, although, let's be very clear, the the average total fare. Has has increased. So, you know, this is airlines are doing this because it's profitable, not not only out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, but yeah, you know, when when people say that, you know, why don't they just charge me one fare? Uh, some of them mean it. And so Frontier is basically saying, well, you know what? If people assign value to that and if they're willing to compensate us uh, for giving them the bundle, then why not do it? Uh, and, and Frontier is an airline that has really started to turn the corner in terms of profitability. Uh, you know, it's been through a lot over the past several years, but um, doing rather well now, uh, definitely optimizing much more for the ultra low cost model, you know, like Spirit, like Allegiant. Frontier's CEO, Barry Biffle, you know, was at Spirit for a very long time uh, during its uh, transformation into one of the world's most profitable airlines. Uh, and so, yeah, this is them doing something that, by the way, other airlines have done with fair family families and bundles and so forth and saying, sure, if you pay us enough for it, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and bundle it back up for you so that you don't have to think about each item that you're purchasing. And you think that's part of it, like the rhetoric of it, you know, the fact that they can say this? Well, certainly it's helpful. You know, the, the, the mainstream media coverage has, has been rather nice. And if you were, yeah, it's, it's sure they're they're offering to bundle everything back and 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 not nickel and dime people, even at the same time that, you know, that they are. Uh, nickel and diming other people. But um, it, it's it's um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, why not? A at some point, it makes sense. Uh, you know, it's something else you have to manage, of course. Uh, but but um, if you do it right, uh, sure, why not let the the people who value just that low bait spare above all else continue to get that and just figure out the price point where sure, people can have uh, can have what they want in terms of all this. And, and, um, and, and generally the way it works with these things is, you know, uh, if you add up the product attributes that people are definitely going to use, uh, it might, you know, if, if you were to add up sort of the sum of all those individual attributes, it might not quite get you to the cost of the bundle. But, um, you know, then if you add in the refundability and those sorts of things that people might or might not use, you know, most won't use it, um, there can be added value there for the consumer. Again, in the end, the airline's doing it because it's profitable for it. But I, I mean, look, if you can make people happy uh, and make money doing it, then isn't that the point of all this? All right, we'll leave it right there. Seth, thanks for being here. And thank you for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. Hey, it's been four episodes. What do you think? Yeah, I think we're doing all right. What do you think? I'm feeling it. Feeling it. We'll see.